Cast Strength, the Whiskey Podcast, brought to you by myself, Torrin, and my brother and co-host, Ronan. Follow us on Instagram at Cast Strength Pod or on Twitter at Cast Strength Pod. Enjoy the show. Slash. Hello and welcome to the St. Patrick's Day special of Cast Strength, the Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined by Ronan. Hello. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad, not bad at all. Uh, of course, St. Patrick's Day is the 17th of March, every year. Uh, St. Patrick himself, the Apostle of Ireland, the banisher of snakes, and some would say the inventor of an elixir, which would be called Ushkebe, or in English, Water of Life. Contrary to the popular belief, he did not create Guinness. And uh, this fella, St. Patrick, done pretty well. It's no bad for a wee guy from the Martin. Or maybe more precisely, uh, Old Kilpatrick, which is just on the kind of other side of the Erskine Bridge to the kind of Glasgow Way mate side. Yeah. Uh, however, the truth is we don't know uh, where St. Patrick's comes from. I'd seen something about him being from Carlisle. I've seen stuff about him being from kind of Old Kilpatrick, Dumbarton Way. And it's probably safe to assume that distillation was not created by St. Patrick himself in Ireland. It was invented by the Moors. They, they were Arabic, they were, they were Muslim, so it would have been for perfume or medicinal purposes. Right, okay. You get any good St. Patrick Day stories? Um, yes, but probably none that I would tell on this podcast, actually. Right, uh, okay. I've enjoyed St. Patrick's Day down the years. What about yourself? Well, well, nothing that wouldn't be expected. As you know, I lived in Edinburgh for a number of years uh, and there's a really big St. Patrick Day celebration there. Uh, I think probably be even second to Colt Bridge, which is... (laughs) (laughs) Colt Bridge is the only place in Scotland you can have a St. Patrick Day parade. Nowhere else in Scotland is allowed to have it. Uh, But I lived in Edinburgh for a number of years and we celebrate St. Patrick's Day every year. For people who have been to Edinburgh or lived in Edinburgh, they'll know of the Three Sisters, which was in the Cowgate, just off the grass market at Edinburgh. And like one year, all my friends were in there drinking. I got there a little later than expected. It was a bit late. Mid-afternoon type uh, time of the day. If you compare that to some of my pals that had been in there uh, to collect the free breakfast, I think if you were in there before something like 9 a.m., you would get a free, like, kind of Irish fry or something. Yeah. And uh, especially a pal, Pete Craig, he would definitely have been there. Uh, and uh, an Edinburgh celebrity, but also a probably celebrity in Ireland. Uh, so I, so I, I, I arrived late and the queues were massive. This was yeah. like the go-to place yeah. in Edinburgh for uh, St Paddy's Day celebration. They had uh, Rory McSorley. Do you know the I Wouldn't Be Long Getting Frostbit fella? Yeah. And they had the YouTube sensation. Yeah, they yeah. had the that Irish band that have got they put plastic bags over the face. Right. Okay. Do you know who I'm on about? I know. I know who you're on about. I just can't think of the I name. Can't think, I, I can't think of the name either. So I, I arrived late, and the queue was massive, easy, a few hundred folk, I would think. Uh, so there was a bar close to Three Sisters that didn't have a queue. But we're still having St. Paddy's, uh, Paddy's Day celebration. So I nipped into the bar. Uh, I think it's called the Cowshed or something. Uh, right next to the James Conley uh, Memorial Park. Right, okay, yeah. Uh, uh, Another fair. very good connection to the fact we're doing a St. Paddy's yeah, Day. Yeah, well, he was yeah, born yeah. in Edinburgh, but he was uh, an Irish revolutionary. Yeah. Um, and when I got there... I was totally sober. I hadn't drunk at all that right. day. Nothing. Uh, so I was like playing catch up. I had pals yeah. that had been in there, been drinking since 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning or whatever, you know what I mean? Like proper celebrating it. And uh, so I was trying to play catch up, went into this cow shed, pint of Guinness after pint of Guinness. Yeah. Then I got six pints of Guinness mid to late afternoon, had my Guinness, I was home before five, and I was in my bed for two days. I was that sick. From well, nothing says, um, like, celebration of a saint. Exactly. Yeah, I was uh, probably adhering to St. Patrick's 
love of his bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the little St. Patrick's Day that I've sort of uh, St. Patrick's Day celebrations it would probably be St. Paddy's Day or St. Yeah. Pat's yeah, Day. Yeah, St. Pat's or St. Paddy's Day. St. Pat, it was a big thing. I lived in in Georgia, in America, not Georgia, the country, but they often call it St. Pat. Patty's Day or Nah, uh, that's not right. They were, they, were, they were a big fan of that. Call it, call it his good, his good um, Catholic or Christian name, Saint Patrick's or Saint Paddy's Day or Saint Pads. I would yeah. Think. Um, the celebrations there were pretty big because there's obviously more Irish people in America than yeah. there is in Ireland, um, as everyone knows. Uh, I think like Chicago turning the river green that runs yeah. through Chicago and die and stuff like that. Uh, biggest St. Patrick's Day celebration I've probably been at is in Savannah in Georgia. That was a big celebration. A typical sort of American, they would have a parade. Yeah. Have a parade for that, absolutely. But going forward, we've got some very, two very interesting whiskies that we're going to try. Uh, but before we move on to the first whiskey that we're going to try, I'll speak a little bit about the beer that we've got. Yeah. As in, Less of a you've got your beer and I've got my beer and that's what we're trying. We've got a mixture of beer that associate itself with the first whiskey that we'll try throughout the podcast. Um, so the first whiskey that we'll try is from Ballycavan. Yeah, which the name will probably get butchered throughout well, the podcast. Well, it's, it's whiskey from Waterford Distillery. Uh, ah, but yes. they've taken they've taken it's a single farm origin from Bally Kilcavan in Ireland. Yeah, so uh, their 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 barley that they use is from Bally Kilcavan. Yeah, it's a single farm origin, so it's very specific to that 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 so, uh, farm. Yeah. So what I done was knowing that we would be trying this whiskey, I went ahead and ordered beer that was from this farm. Yeah. Um, just as a sort of you might as well try and connect the two uh, I had to get them imported in from Ireland and the, the, the slightly strange or funny or just one of those things I guess is that the delivery fee for these beers was 11 euros yeah which will be about 10 pounds something yeah 19 pounds right? probably um, seeing how we're both from Campbelltown the and where I usually buy any whiskey associate with Campbelltown is from I buy it from Campbelltown and I get it shipped up to shipped up to Glasgow. Yeah. Um that'll cost you twelve pounds. Alright. So it's dearer to get whiskey from Campbelltown to Glasgow than it is to get it from Ireland to Scotland. Yeah. That's just a point. I'd just like to make That's how we dig, is it? Well, that's just fucking ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> um, so ah, there's, there's, there's entry tax from Kintyre to other parts of the country. Yeah. So the whiskies that we're in, so the beer that we're trying, um, we're both both starting off with the Brickyard Red Ale. Yeah. Again, um, from Ballycoclan Brewery. It's 4.2%. That's the beers we're trying for now. Both a big fan of uh, Ray Dale. Yeah. The other beers that I've got, I'll run through them now. We might touch them all, t- touch on them later. Uh, what we're trying at that point, but we've got a Bin Bon Pale Ale at Line Broker, which is a New World Hazy Pale Ale. Right. Um, we then have the Millhouse IPA, which is a sort of light session IPA. Um, we then have the Long Meadow IPA which is your more traditional style IPA, which they've actually put on the, the can that it's, which I found quite fascinating, is from a farm, a field, sorry, on their farm that they've had for 300 years. Yeah. It slightly shows the tradition and everything that yeah. it was in. I think it correlates with the whiskey. I think that specific farm at Bally Clavin um, has been in the same family for yeah. 13 generations yeah. or something like that so it's like 300 what like just over 300 years yeah uh, kind of provenance kind yeah. of history kind of barley making for both whiskey and, and for beer, beer. Yeah, yeah. and then the last one we've got is a sec- it's called Secret Passion it's a peach and pa- peach and passion fruit, yes, pale ale, and 
it is this sort of fruit bomb packed with uh, passion fruit and peaches, as it says on the can. Right. Uh, that's probably more your style than mine. But the beers we're trying throughout this are from the same barley grower. Yeah. Is the first whiskey that we're about to try. Yeah, so there's from the exact same farm as we're trying the whiskey uh, and, and, and the beer. They're producing the same farm. But I watched a wee um, video about the barley grower, uh, the farmer, basically. Yeah. And he was saying that he has certain fields that he knows that the barley in that field is good for whiskey and the barley in that field is good for, for beer. beer. Right, okay. Um, very interesting stuff and it probably fits into the Waterford ethos that we'll touch on in terms of uh, where the barley's grown and uh, the climate, the microclimate, and also down to the specific field. Just want to speak about kind of Irish whiskey, Irish whiskey history, Yeah, basically in itself. I don't think we've got enough time in this podcast uh, to talk about Irish whiskey because it's a Claim for stuff, but it would be like trying to discover trying to cover Scottish whiskey within, yeah, yeah. And especially like we aren't as well versed in Irish whiskey, yeah, as we are in Scottish whiskey, yeah. Uh, so, I wouldn't want to come across as a uh, some sort of full expert about Irish whiskey. I don't drink a lot of Irish whiskey, but I'm about to drink two whiskeys from Ireland that excite me a lot um, we're going to give our kind of honest opinions on yeah. it but I have read books on Irish whiskey but as I say today I don't want to go into the history of Irish whiskey just because it's too long and uh, yeah. probably something we can't really get into but Irish whiskey in itself is a story of rise fall and rebirth it's very interesting if you can get a book on Irish whiskey I'd recommend it the coffee still with a continuous still that you see at many great distilleries in Scotland or a kind of progression of that uh, was created by an Irish ex-tax man uh, called Aeneas Coffey right and if you many people would have probably have heard of him it's a story that includes the English control in Ireland Pachin Parliament Whiskey Whiskey Boom an American bug that decimated grape growth in France, so ruined the kind of cognac and uh, brandy and also the wine trade. Uh, but that when that happened, it also boosted the Irish whiskey trade uh, and also prohibition in America, which is very interesting because it includes Al Capone, it includes JFK, yeah, his dad. Right. Um, supposedly they made, your, they made their money in uh, bootlegging. Right. It's a very interesting story. Uh, so I'd recommend go have a look at it. But what I would like to touch on would be that in 1890, there was 28 distilleries in Ireland. Okay. And by 1966, this had fallen to two. So this is really the fall of Irish distillery. Yeah. Uh, distilling. And I would like to make the point that Irish whiskey, the resurgence of Irish whiskey, really has the success of Jameson to thank. Yeah. Uh, without that, without that well-branded, brilliant drink with uh, a bit of ginger ale and lime, I would say. Yeah. Uh, That's what A I- really, really good drink. And it, it's not, it's not an, not an incredibly special whiskey, Jameson. Yeah. But with a bit of ginger ale in it and a bit of lime, you've got a really good drink there. That sort of falls into the same sort of thought process that things like Johnny Walker, big blends, saved industries. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, And in particular for for what we're speaking about now is that Jameson helped Irish whiskey become what it is today. Yeah. By just continuing a trend that there was Irish whiskey. Yeah. So we move on to the first whiskey. Yeah, so I would I'm going to speak about the bottle itself for a while. It's a Irish single malt from Waterford Distillery in County Waterford. I've been in Waterford. Uh, it's a beautiful part of Ireland. There's an island that I was staying in a wee town called uh, Feathered near uh, Clonmel and 
got to the gates of Waterford Distillery with my friend who is from Ireland and he assumed that we could just walk up and get a tour. Uh, but when we got to the gates, they said, you can't get a tour without like prior prior booking, which, prior was, yeah. which was really disappointing. But Waterford itself, absolutely beautiful. Yeah. It, was sunny. it was such a sunny day. It was, it was really, really class. Um, they've got kind of statues of King Strongbow and stuff like that. And yeah, that part of Ireland, the kind of southeast coast kind of yeah. area. Really, really enjoyable. Uh, this specific whiskey, obviously from Waterford Distillery in County of Waterford. It's a, a single farm origin from Bally Kilvannon Farm. It's edition 1.2, so it's the second release from this farm. And I think the reason they released a second release from this farm so quick was because the 1.1, the first release from this farm, sold out so quickly they wanted to just give more of this yeah. farm, so make it more available. Yeah. What I actually like about the bottle is on the back of the bottle you get a code, which if you type in online, it'll take you to a page about the whiskey but it also gives you all the facts and the level of detail on this page is staggering yeah it will tell you the barley was harvested on the 17th of august 2015 it was distilled in week eight of 2016 it was matured for three years 11 months and 18 days and of course it will tell you that it's unchocolated and natural color the thing about this whiskey the 1.2 is it does contain some whiskey from the 1.1 release. Demand was so high that they just didn't have enough and it's got some of the 1.1 release in it. It's a 50% ABV and it's 9,000 bottles, this specific uh, release. There's a lot of transparency there. What people are really looking for, Yeah, um, they're looking for that transparency within the bottle, whether it's non-shelf or natural colour, but to give... That relation uh, and everything is really quite different to what you'd come to expect from I would say a Scottish whiskey distillery. They tend not to tell you that sort of information, whether because they don't know or they're not willing to tell you. But it's it, it's really encouraging to see that become more of a regular thing within the whiskey drinking industry, I guess, yeah. as a whole. First of all, I would like to say I've took a couple of sips of the Ballycoe Cabin red, red Ale there. Yeah. It's a brilliant red ale. It's a brilliant red ale. It takes me back to the time I spent in Ireland drinking Smithwick's Red Ale. Yeah. What, what a brilliant beer. But you're saying about transparency, and that's, that's undoubtedly true. But what I've just mentioned there... It doesn't just stop at that. Right. On this website, you've got the profile of the farmer and the land, which is extremely interesting. They have a barley kind of timeline. Right. So when it was sown, when it was harvested, the malting date, fermentation started, filling date, the marriage of the casks that went into this whiskey and also the bottling date. You've also got the names of the distillers. Right. You've got videos of the harvest, okay. which I, I've watched, and it was quite interesting. The farmer was saying he's got certain fields that have barley for distillation, and he's got fields that have barley for uh, brewing. Uh, so I, I did find that very interesting. But this distillery is big. This is a, a big distillery. I right. think it's like one million litres a year capacity, but it's got a very family-run feel to it. Yeah. And I think that's because they've got the farmers who grow the, the barley yeah. involved in, like, this is your product. Like, you've got Ballycoe Cabin on the label. That yeah. farmer who produces that grain is going to feel so involved with the whiskey yeah. process. Yeah. And they do. They get, they get, they get the farmer in for when the first hearts run is running off the stills, you yeah. know what I mean? It's very inclusive, it's very far it's very family like. Yeah. Even when it's more one million litres is big. It's it's a big distillery. But to be able to do that and get the the barley grower in quite a as you said, it's quite a family oriented uh, sort of inclusive 
yeah. uh, mindset. It's almost like getting their uncle in or their, their, their friend in to ah. see. And, and, and that's what this facility has tried to do. Yeah. It's like these aren't just barley suppliers. They are yeah. part of our family it's who are real- going to produce a fucking really good whiskey. Yeah, it's putting a real emphasis on the fact that barley plays a major part yeah. in the whole process. It's not just the start of it. Yeah, exactly. So the on, on this uh, kind of webpage, the barley that he uses Taberna, the yeast they use is a Maori or Maori distiller's yeast, which is pretty, pretty standard. That's probably what you'll find at most whiskey distilleries. In Scotland and Ireland, the fermentation length is 150.5 hours for this specific whiskey. I presume it's probably got a kind of couple hours here and there yeah. uh, per different but, kind of release. But even at that, 150 odd hours fermentation is still very low. massive. Yeah. That's, that's, it's not just unique within Irish whiskey, that's unique within whiskey in general. Yeah. yeah. But it's been encouraging. The longer fermentation, the more esters that are produced. Uh, secondary fermentation can happen. That as a whiskey, I'm a whiskey drinker, I'm a whiskey producer, but I'm also a wee bit of a whiskey nerd. Yeah. But that's what I like to see. The cast types for this whiskey is uh, 55.5% first fill bourbon. Yeah. It's 22% premium French wine. I, I don't quite know what premium French wine means. Yeah. I, I, when we said that we were trying this Waterford non-resident wine expert I guess would be the opposite of a resident wine expert yeah um, I asked him it's premium you said premium French wine cast premium French wine right and this is although liking wine not really knowing a lot about it yeah. I asked him what, is that a classification of a certain wineries included in that or is that just what you would say would be marketing jargon I guess yeah and he just said that's that could be anything yeah yeah that's your the finest quality sherry casks that's that sort of phrase yeah they're saying it's good quality wine but there's no real definition of where that would come from and that that slight bit kind of uh, surprises me a bit because Waterford have been so kind of translucent and yeah. they've had so much transparency in where everything's came from and then when I see that 22% between French wine I'd like to know where it came from they do have the cooperage on the website but yeah. to be honest to the average drinker um, or the more than average drinker slightly more than average drinker they, you're wanting a wee bit more specifics about it that, uh, that might just come down to the fact that they're, they're not able to disclose where they source the casks yeah, from that's maybe it's, the issue it's it, it is very unlikely that with being tra- as transparent as they are, that they would suddenly not be. Yeah. So it's probably it's maybe contractual. It's contra- it, that To me, that would suggest that's a contractual thing. And if they could tell you, they would. Yeah, you're probably right. And the other 22.5% uh, left in the kind of cask makeup of this whiskey was from uh, Vin do natural or vin do neutral which is a french sweet wine naturally uh, sweetened wine a fortified wine so different from your kind of bordeaux quite similar to terms quite similar yeah yeah it's a fortified wine it's a fortified wine but i I think it's a lot lighter a lot sweeter yeah and we're about to see if it impacts on the whiskey i know you've been kind of nosing the whiskey as we've been speaking yeah what do you think about it on the nose? Initial thoughts, and it's a strange one to suggest just from a nose, but if you this thought that it's a, a slightly thicker spirit. Yeah. A lot of coffee, a bit of mocha, cream sort of liqueur sort of feel about it. Very, very nice, very, very approachable on the nose, but it's got this little difference that I think my experience of Irish whiskies previously probably a little bit to maybe trying some teeling whiskey it's got, yeah. this, it's got this real difference yeah of course when we visited teeling distillery in the liberties area of dublin we tasted some pot still whiskey but mm. i think that might have been my first real experience it, yeah my um, first venture into pot still whiskey yeah uh, or this is why, because this isn't possible whiskey. Yeah, that must have been my first experience into the kind of real uh, 
quality Irish whiskey. Yeah, when, as you were saying, when we visited Teeling, it was probably a real insight into Irish whiskey that wasn't Bushmills, it wasn't Jameson, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't the big names. It'd be, it'd be like visiting Scotch whiskey distilleries that make Johnny Walker uh, and Ballantines or something like that, and then visiting a distillery that's just just doesn't do that. Yeah. So it'd be like drinking like famous grouse and bells. Yeah. And then going to, you know, a Glen Goyne or and seeing, a, and seeing a some... Speyside distillery or something, yeah. or even, even a Campbellton distillery at Springbank. The culture shock you would get from thinking about uh, all, all famous grouse yeah. or bells and then going to, say, Springbank where yeah. they do everything on site, yeah. you'd be an absolute shock to what Irish whiskey could actually taste like. Yeah, and this, here's my preconceptions of what Irish whiskey would taste like have been just from the nose. It's a completely different thing. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying it's in comparison to a Scottish whiskey, I'm not saying Scottish whiskey is better just because it's Scottish whiskey or anything like that. I'm just saying it's not what I thought an Irish whiskey would be, especially from a distillery that's a million litres and, and everything. It's just the nose you get, it's just different. Yeah, it's very different. Uh, on the nose for me, I'm initially just getting a sweet barley kind of sugar flavour. The depth to the nose on this whiskey is incredible. It's one of the most deep and also complex noses of a whiskey I've ever tried. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it was surprising, but it's really, really enjoyable, this nose. I'm getting marzipan, I'm getting pineapple, I'm getting green grape from it, but it's so different. It's so different. What it's got is just so different. It's unique. Yeah, yeah, it's very unique. It's, it's it, when you read about Waterford and, and you learn about what they're doing and what they're what they're trying to do and the different the different viewpoint they've got with whiskey and the process and everything. This is it's just different. It's, yeah. it's unique and it, it and it, that's just from the nose. We're not even getting it the, the the palate or the taste or, or whatever. This it it starts off as a whiskey that you've just won. I don't think I've tasted anything yeah, like it. That's the thing. And I want to go through a wee bit about the distillery. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to ask that you taste the whiskey, you palate the whiskey when, when I go through it. Uh, so Waterford Distillery was founded by uh, Mark Rainier, uh, who was formerly of Brooklady, uh and the mastermind b- behind the kind of rebuilding of Brooklady. If anybody's a fan of Scottish whiskey uh, or Brooklady, you would probably know of uh, Mark Rainier. It's got an eight-ton mash tun, which is big. This distillery is producing one million litres a, a year. It's... It's pretty, it's pretty big. They've got this massive mash filter, which isn't typical in Scotch whiskey or whiskey in general, but is more typical in like a brewery environment. Right, um, okay. And a mash filter, it, it separates the wort from the draft, basically. So after the mashing process, you pass through the kind of wort, which is a mixture of olive water and kind of barley and and barley sugar and barley kind of uh, liquid, you pass that through a series of pneumatic filter plates, which sounds all very technical. At this stage is what Waterford Distillery say gives the spirit a more mouthfeel, polyphenols. And you've got to remember, this is prior to distillation. They call this the mash filter, the terroir extractor, because Waterford whiskey and terroir go hand in hand together. Terroir itself is a French term. Yeah. And it's referring to the environmental factors that affect a crop, basically. Okay. So in terms of wine, it's where the grape grows, the soil type, is it sandy, is it a stony soil? Yeah. The microclimate of that area, the farming practices, sunlight, rainfall, right. it's very specific, yeah. you know what I mean, it, it's, 
extremely specific yeah. to certain areas, to certain vineyards, wineries, the hillside. That hillside yeah. is going to produce a different grape to yeah. what that... To the opposite hillside. To that meadow yeah. produces, you know? And it can be as specific to like certain fields and farms. So kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Like terroir, does it make sense to you? Well, it, it, it makes sense in the sense that it's very connected to with, well, I guess, the beer that we're trying as well. Right. Is that and and where the whiskey where the whiskey's barley is grown, is that they know this field's yeah. for whiskey, this field's for beer. Like it, it, it's a theme that runs through it. I don't I don't think it comes across as wrong to think that that field in say South Kintyre in Campbelltown, yeah. that field in Campbelltown, the barley grown there will be different to the barley the grown grown up in the Black Isle or Aberdeenshire or yeah. something. You know what I mean? Yeah. That that makes sense. I think yeah. everybody could I, I agree with that. Yeah. But the the argument for terroir is that the grown area of the barley yeah. affects the flavour of the wine in terms of French wine or the barley in terms of Irish whiskey. Yeah. And, and, and this term is widely accepted in France, but it's not without its critics. It's not without its folk that don't believe in it. And that's that's important to remember. In terms of Waterford Distillery, terroir refers to the barley growing habitat. At Waterford Distillery, they believe that the flavours in the whiskey are shaped by the place where the barley is grown. Okay, right. By the soil type, the microclimate, topography. As there is only one farm per bottle, you're really getting that precision of place what Waterford yeah. are looking for. So what they're essentially saying is their bottlings don't differ apart from where the barley is grown. With Waterford, they are putting every single bottling through a different a kind of maturation process in terms of where the barrels are from, where the casks are from. Right. Okay. But what they're really wanting to focus on is the precision of place. Like Ballycull Cabin will have a different flavour because of the microclimate, because of the terroir, yeah. than a farm 20 miles down the road, 40 miles down the road. Right, okay. Uh, so I'd like to go on to Palette. Just now, what do you think of the taste of this whiskey? As I said from the nose, it gives this impression that it's something that you've never really tasted before. And tasting it, the the first thing I wrote down was that it was a dry waxiness. And when you say waxy, you would automatically sort of think of climb leash. It's something completely different. I also wrote down that it was quite plasticky. Right, okay. Which I don't think is an actual word. Um, but it get this difference to it that probably couldn't describe uh, then put caramel, toffee apples, I thought it was quite straw cereal like as well but a walnut almond in there but then you got to the actual sort of mouthfeel and this is where Waterford for me is different than anything I've ever tasted, is the, the mouthfeel that it gives, it's this thick Juiciness, like biting into a big juicy apple, sort of manuka honey, syrupy, golden syrup, that sort of uh, viscous feel, I think. Yeah. So. yeah, it's really, really thick, full bodied, but without really any sherry cask influence at all. I don't think it's got any sherry cask influence. But the wine influence on the white is get this full bodiedness to it. Yeah. What about yourself? Well, the first thing I wrote down about this whiskey was full bodied. Yeah. As soon as you put it in your mouth, it's full bodied. It's uh, mouth coating. You get all the creaminess from it. Lots of malt flavours, like lots of barley flavours. I'm getting that kind of sweetness, that sweet banana almost flavour. Yeah. Uh, slight woodiness, but I go back to that thickness and also that dryness. It's it's almost like a kind of oxymoron that kind of th- that kind of mouth coating, but also dry. Yeah. But it's I, for this whiskey. This is the whiskey I've never tasted anything like this before. This is the nose was so much depth on it. The 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 palate so much flavour. It's mouth coating. 
It's sweet. It's woody. It's got malt flavours, but there's also the dryness about it. Yeah, it. Not not to speak for you, but yeah. I'm got, needing all the help I can get. Yeah, it's got this light meatiness to it. Right. Like you thought that if you had a, a like a nice juicy steak or something like that, it would coat your whole mouth and everything you then taste from that tastes like that. But yeah. You're speaking about steaks as a vegetarian. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm referring back to previous times where <laughs> I wasn't a murderer. Uh-huh. Um, oh, right. oh. <laughs> <laughs> I see. It's got this mouth feel and coating of a, a big meaty whiskey. Mm. Something you would associate with maybe. A, but I wouldn't think. Filmish, it, I wouldn't think. Cherry cask I whiskey, but it's just not got. It's not got the the taste of it. It's got the, the mouth, mouth feel. Of that, it's got the mouthfeel of meaty whiskies, but I wouldn't think in any way it had any flavour to do with like kind of whatever venison or lamb. No, or not something uh, like that. You know what I mean? That, yeah, uh, it's but just, it has it has this thick coating mouthfeel. The texture which of is, it is incredible. I think I think it's it's, it's it's incredible in comparison to the to the other notes that you're getting. Yeah. Saying, when we say it's like a whiskey we've never tried before, it's that's neither good nor bad. Yeah, it's, it's a, a descriptive of what you taste. It's just different. Now, the argument of terroir is uh, widely accepted in the wine industry. It's not wholly accepted. It's definitely not wholly accepted in the whiskey industry. Right. Now, the argument against terroir is that basically from the mass producers and they argue that the process of whiskey making would destroy any chance of the flavours created or derived from the individual microclimate being recognised in the final product right okay and these naysayers say that grain suppliers the, the, the malt houses use so many different farms that there's no way that you'd be able to kind of differentiate the terroir, the farms or whatever in the final product of the whiskey. And even if there was a way right. to get the terroir into the whiskey, for example, as Waterford have done with their single farm releases, the argument against it would say that biological reactions of fermentation, the chemical reactions of distillation, the maturation processes in terms of oxidation and spirit interaction mm-hmm. with the wood over numerous years that you wouldn't be able to taste terroir in the final product. Now, I'm going to say this as an idiot. Yeah. Well, of course you are. A cask that sits on one coast to another coast, you taste the difference. Yeah. Because it's matured on that coast. Why is that accepted, but the barley grown in one coast to another coast not accepted? Well, the... The whole idea of, like, say, like if you mature a cask of whiskey, a cask of Isla whiskey, on Isla, and you mature the sister cask of the same whiskey, but a different cask matured in Kentucky and uh, America, I think most people would, would say, yeah, it's going to taste different. But why is that acceptable? But it, it, it's not, because it, it's almost not acceptable because... You can't do it. You can't mature Scottish whiskey outside Scotland. And, the, so, and so also... Is, is this a big boys thing? It's, or? it's, it's a big... It's, 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 a, it's a big company thing. A mass producer saying, nah, see what you do. Does it make a difference? Just because it doesn't suit their narrative. It doesn't suit their point. So obviously a big company who... In Irish whiskey distillers... Do you know in Irish whiskey distillers, they import... Barley from Ukraine. They yeah. import barley from all over Europe, but to meet the supply because the Irish barley here are too expensive. That's probably a major reason, but it's also more available. It almost seems so, like they've been caught out on a selling point. Yeah, they wish they could have capitalised on. But what, I I, Waterford's get there first. I don't know. If and it's now, just, I and don't now know. they're disc- they will just discredit it and say. It doesn't have any inf- uh, impact. So, I would agree with that point. I would agree with the mass producers as your uh, kind of Pimmel Rica and yeah, fucking uh, all them, right? 
I, I would agree that a point doesn't agree with them, so they've said that's bullshit. Mm. But what you're, what you've said there, I would say this isn't a marketing standpoint yeah. from, from Waterford. This is a quality standpoint. Ah, they, this is they, this believe, is, they yeah. believe in what they're doing. Yeah, they're not doing it to market the whiskey. No, they're doing it to produce the best spirit in a fucking bottle, right? Yeah, to produce the best spirit in a bottle. Yeah, and it's regarded that the kind of south area of Ireland produces the best barley in the world. Yeah, and obviously, what are they still going to push that and say, "Well, we produce the best barley in the world in this area." But I mean, the, bar- the, bar- bar- the barley in that area is won awards on the fact yeah. that yeah. it's the best barley in yeah. that area. Yeah. Uh, not the best barley in that area, sorry. It's the best barley in the world. Yeah. You've got you've got a climate in the kind of southern, in the south of Ireland that is heat from the Gulf Stream. You've got moisture from rain and you've got very good soil. And it's basically the best mixture of... Yeah everything you need yeah, to, so, to grow good barley. So they've got a point. They've got a point. Of course, Waterford are claiming that terroir exists. In the naysayers to terroir, the big companies are saying, exactly as my nickname that I've gave them, they're saying it doesn't exist. They're naysayers to that. But in February 2021, there was peer-reviewed academic paper which was titled The Impact of Terroir on the Flavour of Single Malt Whiskey Yeah. Now Make Spirit. That was released. And it found that there was more than 42 different flavour compounds found in those whiskies from two different farms that they, they analysed. And half of those flavour compounds were directly influenced by the terroir of the barley. Right. So basically, this is proving what uh, Mark Rainier, what Waterford Distillery have been saying. And it basically allows them to wave this academic paper in the faces of the naysayers and basically say, get it fucking up, yeah. Yeah. They've now not got a leg to stand on in the fact that, yeah. Right now, though. Right now, though. But I I would like to put forward the point... I believe that terroir obviously does have an effect. It makes sense. Yeah. If you grow a bar- if you grow barley in a field that has a certain soil type, has a certain climate, yeah. then it's going to be different to barley grown in another field. Yeah. Of course it is. For these big producers, why they don't want it to be kind of widely accepted is because the malt houses, the malt providers... Yeah take barley from all these different farms so you're basically getting a blend of several hundred different barleys. And obviously that'll increase prices and certain things. But it just so happens you've got a field in whatever and it turns out actually the barley we grow is actually quite good. You'll then charge the bigger company slightly bit more because you know the, the field that you grow from, from the area that you are in slightly more reputable uh, than it's more some, flavoursome than somewhere else it's almost like the kind of milk uh, argument that folk have is like milk producers milk farmers have paid the bottom dollar of yeah. uh, what they, they could be um, from what they could be um, paid for their high quality milk but obviously all over Scotland all over Ireland you've got Farmers that produce better quality milk than others. Yeah. But they're still paid that base bottom rate. Ah, they're well, paid the exact yeah. same as everybody else. Yeah. And it's like driving the price low. Yeah. Basically to keep keep more money for the bigger the bigger company. The brokers, which yeah. are um, first milk or whatever, and also give more money to the supermarkets. Yeah. You know, it's that similar thing, it's that produce and it's taken farmers for the right. And this is why I really like this facility because they're saying, we're not taking you for the right, yeah. we're taking you for who you are. We're taking uh, you for your produce and we're going to celebrate your produce in a single farm bottling of your barley. That sounds like a very a World Whiskey League argument. As we're trying this, 
and we're trying the whiskey, yeah, they notice that we're moving on to different beers. I'm gonna tell you that I am trying. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't mind a beer as well. Uh, I'm gonna try the Long Meadow IPA, which I spoke about earlier. Right, is a traditional style IPA. The barley comes from the Ballyclaven Brewery, the farm. Ballyclaven. Belly cool. <laughs> We've had a couple of beers and we have a couple of whiskeys for uh We're butchering every name absolutely possible. I think, uh, I think that carries on the kind of tradition of the Nignean of uh, some of the rest of them that we've tried. Uh, but we don't mean to butcher the Ballycoe Cabin because that first red ale was very nice. I'll be ordering from their website again. Like, I really, really like that, was, uh, that beer. So... As we try this Bally Kilcavan yeah. beer, I'm trying the Long Meadow IPA. Yourself, you're trying the Bin Barn Pale Ale. Pale Ale. Actually, I don't know if I'd like this one. Is there any other ones? Oh, we've got loads. We've got loads of, loads available. We'll get onto them, will we? We'll get onto them with the next whiskey. That's, uh, that's well. me too. But your finish on this Waterford Edition 1.2 from Ballycoclavin. From Ballycoclavin. What are you thinking? What's your thoughts on the finish? Then? On the finish of this whiskey, I've got lots of multi flavours. Again, it's uh, been. A kind of mainstay of this whiskey from nose to taste to finish. Lots of kind of chocolate notes, kind of um, 70% uh, cocoa chocolate, kind of on the darker side towards the kind of extreme darker sides. I've got raspberries coming in there and it's a medium finish for me. It's a medium finish. It's, it's a very, very nice whiskey, but it's... Just shy of four years old. It's probably got some over four years old in it. Well, I was speaking about the the head distiller decided to put some edition one point one into this whiskey, but it's four years old. Basically, might as well call it that. It's a very good whiskey. What I got from it, I can't, the palate to the the finish. I thought it was very very long, full bodied as we spoke about, thick. Yeah, juicy. It was a chewy sort of a whiskey, which, as I said earlier, was things that you would usually associate with cherry cast matured whiskey. Yeah, but it's not. Yeah, and I think I think that's down to the mash filter. Yeah, it's French. It's French wine, bourbon. It's got this real juiciness to it that you can really get a hold of. Clotted cream, floral as well, perfumey on the finish. As what said, kind of perfume? I don't know. Uh, Dolce Sh- Gabbana. Ah, Sh- <laughs> Chanel number no. 5. Uh, That's my favourite. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, <laughs> I thought it was heavy, quite sugary. As I said, honey, Manuka honey. I thought it was quite sweetie like. I thought it was quite a sweet finish. Peanut butter. Again, probably adds to that thickness that we're speaking about. Uh, Authors. thought it had this sort of biscuity wafer. Do you remember the sort of oyster ice cream? Aye, like an aye. ice cream wafer that you would get. I thought it had this. I never liked them myself, but my mum, our mum, would like the go get as an oyster aye, for the ice cream yeah, man type yeah, thing. It's, it's got this wafer about it. It's light, but then it's also got body about it. It, it. It's 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 actually a difficult whiskey to pinpoint. Where you think it fits in? I, th- I I think it's totally different from all the whiskies I've tried. It's 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 very very unique. It has points where you think it compares to other whiskies you've tried. Yeah, and then within a split second, it changes and goes to the exact opposite of what you think you've tried. I got on the nose that it was very fresh, sweet, and then. On the nose, you got a thickness, and you go, oh, that doesn't really quite match up. Yeah. But you got the palate and the, the the finish, and you think it's you could compare it to two, three, four different distilleries yeah. or regions. It's just get this versatility about it that is really quite hard to pinpoint. Yeah, I, I don't what, know what I, you would compare it to. I don't know if I would call it versatility, but I would definitely call it unique. I would definitely call yeah. it. That's maybe that's maybe a better phrase to call. I would definitely call it like a whiskey I've never tried before. When I took my first sip, I was kind of like, wow, I, w- I was taken aback. Yeah. I was kind of like, oh, I don't 
don't even know if I like this whiskey. Yeah. Just because it was something that I never tried before. The mouthfeel on this whiskey is second to none. I've yeah. never felt a mouthfeel on a whiskey like this. Yeah. It's an exceptional whiskey without saying that it's the best whiskey you've ever tried. Yeah. It's, it's, I think what I would settle on would be it's unique. It's very unique. Yeah. Exceptional in terms of difference. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm trying yeah. to say. It's exceptional in terms of difference, not that it's the best whiskey I've ever tried in my life. Yeah. It's it's got this difference to it that you can't compare it to anything. Yeah, that's true. So carrying on from the uh, peer-reviewed uh, academic paper that I believe that Mark Rainier and the Waterford team will be kind of waving in the faces of the naysayers, I would just like to put across some some sort of transparency, some sort of balance. And it, not for a second have Waterford decided tried to hide this, but this is just how it is. That This paper, this academic paper that was released, was funded by Waterford Facility. Oh, yeah. This, but, this uh, goes back to the old Panama Papers. Uh, uh, Panama Institution sort of involved in the still Jesus. It would seem a bit icky, right? But this isn't unusual. When I was studying my master's at what University, the PhD students who were there were all funded by Scottish distilleries. Right. Glenmorangie, Holyrood. Like, it isn't unusual to have research funded by a distillery who, yeah. who wants you to forward this research into this. Because yeah. in, in terms of whiskey, Scotch whiskey, Irish whiskey, the amount of research that's, that's been carried out in the past is minimal. Yeah. It's in its infancy. Um, but I think it's important to know that this research was funded by the distillery that wanted the eventual outcome of the research. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not saying bias, but there is going to be an unintentional bias, at least. And there's definitely going to be claims of bias. Yeah. Right. But... What did the research say? Like, what are we looking at? Yeah, so, like, this paper set to find out uh, if terroir was real and if terroir could be uh, identifiable in the taste. The influence of terroir. Yeah, in the final product. Yeah. I would like to make clear, I'm not doubting the credibility of this paper. Yeah. I'm just making it clear as anything. It's a peer-reviewed paper so the science and the method of how they carried out the the investigation, basically, yeah. it adds up. But it's the first paper of its kind into terroir in whiskey. And this is what excites me as... I'm, I'm not an academic, yeah. but I've been in the university setting where I would have studied these papers... This this paper is being branded about as being the definitive proof that terroir is real and everyone else just stop even questioning it. They just stop even thinking about it because this paper has gave the definitive answer to what terroir is. The and likely chance is that there'll be a paper describing how it isn't exactly yeah what i hope that happens is someone conducts another piece of research that shows terroir is not real and i'll tell you why then there'll be a and there'll be a to and fro there'll be a back and forth yeah of academic papers that say terroir is real terroir's not real because what i've heard and and quite right because they've got proof that yeah. terroir is real. Yeah. But somebody could, could create a peer-reviewed paper in the next month saying terroir isn't real. So what you're wanting is, is it a conclusion. No, I'm no, want, no, what you're wanting is the argument to happen. Yeah, yeah, aye, aye. And then there'd be a, a conclusion years down the line. Aye, maybe, maybe. Of, of if, it, if but, terroir is influential or if it isn't influential. You're, you're, what, you're wanting an actual... So, I'm on a proper 
argument about not, it. Not in terms of uh, an argument between pals in the pub. I want an academic argument yeah. between several different sources. Yeah. I want an abundance of academic papers on yeah. this matter. Yeah. Are you saying there's, there's only been one paper to whether terroir is influential or not? Yeah, so there's been one paper of this kind on terroir and whiskey. This is the first whiskey really? journal yeah. that has highlighted this point. And as, and as I say, like any researcher, any person that sets out to create a research project, they set out with what they want to try and find, yeah. and then they get there eventually. You know well, what I mean? I'm, well, not saying, I'm not saying it's made up. I'm just saying... This I, and I believe what they've said. I uh, believe what they said because it makes sense. Uh, I'm just saying it needs to be taken with a pinch of salt. And also, I would like someday to come out and say, "Wait, that's not true. Yeah. This is what I found." And then for a, basically a battle between the this is true, this is not this true is, aspect. Yeah. But this that that would build an array yeah. of scientific. Peer-reviewed yeah. journal, and then you could build an argument off that. Yeah. You could build an argument in terms of literature review. You could build a scientific argument. There's no, it's no good having one, uh, one source saying this is the facts. Even we, we need, we need more sources. Yeah. Here. Even although you believe the scientific findings of the the Waterford-funded review, what? you think we need is a widespread review from what you would say is naysayers and believers essentially into the review where the barley is grown the soil that that it's grown on or grown in has an effect on the whiskey itself yeah so so, so see this see this review and what i see in all the articles and i've even seen from uh, mark brenner who i Respect undoubtedly, and of course, he's going to say this. He's had a point where everybody said, No, you're talking pish. And suddenly, it's proved from this uh, academic paper. Of course, he's going to say, It's nonsense. He's going to hold it up and he's going to say, Like, you're all wrong, I'm right. What I'm saying, it would be foolish to stop now. Don't stop now. Let's do more research into oh, it. If, if, if your point has been proved, yeah, let's prove it again uh, and again and again. Let's let's go the journey to to prove that it's hundred yeah, percent investigation. Investigation. Yeah. Let's just prove that it's right. That person who conducted this study has interpreted has that in, it's right. Has, has conducted next- it in a, an accurate scientific way. So it, you can't really argue with it but anybody who's written a, a, a literature review would know that academic papers contradict each other all but, the time and, and that's how you form an argument this is the first paper of its kind and personally I hope there's many many more. My point against what you're saying even though I don't believe it, I believe in the fact that we're Barley is grown, and I believe in what they're doing. Aye, there's no reason to disbelieve what they're saying. But it makes total sense. But yes. the argument, the argument against it, which I would even have a slight bit of, is like after all those processes, and I don't believe distillation is a destructive process, which gets bad about. It's a refining process, yeah. and then when that hearts section is put into casks. It depends what kind of cask you put it into. Like, why can't you taste the barley in the final product? Why is that? Why is that such an alien idea? Is it sort of the idea that it's maybe never been thought of before? It just doesn't suit the big producers of the Irish whiskey market. That's the reason that it's so alien. Does the reality suit Waterford Distillery and Mark Rainier's narrative? Yeah. It probably doesn't suit it as much as they'd like. Yeah. But they're talking truths. So they're talking truths. The barley that you put into whiskey and the way that barley is grown in terms of microclimate, topography, uh, f- farming, ways of practice. Yeah. Obviously has an influence. 
But then you're obviously for that argument. Even although you believe that that, where the barley's grown and everything, you're saying you believe that it does have an influence. But I don't... On, on the, uh, you're saying you would like at least counter-argument. That makes the best justification whether a point is right or wrong, yeah. is that there's arguments against and they get proven wrong. So what we're, what we're wanting here is we want someone to counter... Yeah. Definitely. And then it gets proven wrong. I think the best thing for this argument yeah. is for somebody to conduct research and for them to say, nah, it doesn't make a difference. And then see when you've got two papers, see yeah. when you've got two academic papers that say one said no, one says yes, do you know what that creates? Hundreds of papers, hundreds of people try to figure out what yeah. is the actual truth. And that creates a better understanding of what for, is actually going on. For what's going on for the whiskey industry, but also creates a better argument for whiskey uh, brewing and filling students to create an argument for essays to have better understanding. Like that's that's what I want. There's no point of one one person. Like I totally believe Waterford's yeah. paper. They found something. That's that's great. Like they found what they probably knew. They did know this would be the findings. Yeah. And I, I think any level headed person would say, yeah, of course the grown environments in the barley would affect the taste of the distillate. But this is the first paper of its kind. We need other papers to come out and say, yeah, maybe you're, maybe you're wrong, or maybe you're half right. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're a wee bit right, yeah. but you're not fully right. You're See, when you start getting hundreds of papers, yeah. hundreds of academic papers, that's when you can actually form a balanced argument of like this person from this, this person from that. What you're probably looking for there is papers that are not. By that side of the argument, yeah, it goes back. It goes because, back to what I said. Like, you usually, quite, you could quite easily get a paper written the opposing arguments, the against the opposers. Yeah, like, I welcome that. I think no, that you, I think you, that would be great. I think yeah, yeah, yeah. for for like academics, that would be brilliant to have honest. somebody else coming and say no actually you you've got you've got like you've got to think about it um jeff palmer he changed the way of thinking about how barley malted he changed the way of the thinking about that yeah. right but see before that they totally believed it was a different thing there's always going to be somebody who's going to prove you wrong and that's not even a bad thing yeah and the thing is jeff palmer proved the guy before him wrong yeah, the the, West, the 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 barley expert before him who thought I went about this bit, he proved it wrong by coming out with his own research, yeah. right? Yeah. So what further come out with their research? Why can't somebody else come out with their research and say, "Oh, this isn't totally correct," or either is this totally wrong? It doesn't happen, and then Waterford could fund another study that proved it again or whatever, you know? So. So do you think Waterford is the next point in scientific research within the industry? I that, think that shows just a slight difference into what the norm is. Now, everybody believed one thing before, mm. and the people that are running Waterford have just proven something different. Now, within a couple of years, is there the chance that everybody believes what they're saying and that is just the norm is this just a point in time within the whiskey industry that the viewpoint and how things are made and how things are done is this just one of those points where it changes what what for the doing in terms of terroir makes sense it makes sense but also I don't think there would be anybody that wouldn't say that of course, cask influence is the biggest influence on the flavour of the whiskey. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I don't even think Waterford are disagreeing with that. I think they're saying we are going to produce the best tasting whiskey we can, but there's absolutely no problem with creating a good spirit from yeah. the barley. Good barley. Yeah. And then putting it into good cask, and then at the end of that process, after how many years, saying, yeah, well, this whiskey's so good because of the barley. 
that makes sense but I would and I don't think Waterford are saying this but I would not get on board with saying it's the only factor but I don't think anybody thinks it's the only factor and I presume they're, they're just arguing that it is a factor yeah, aye, aye. aye. Whereas other parts of the Irish whiskey industry are saying it's not a fact. Yeah. I guess the, the general argument would be might be a fact. Uh, it might be a fact. Mm. And other places are going. No. Definitely not. Because it doesn't suit that narrative. It doesn't suit that mass production narrative. Yeah.